April 14, 2013, lecture discussion number 106 on the book of Romans. I'm struggling today. I'm uglier than usual. Chris will tell you, he was, he was bringing in a dishwasher and asked me to help him, and I fell down the stairs and landed on my right knee. And then the other day, I opened the car door into my face. I, I have no idea what I was thinking. I opened it as hard as I physically could. I thought I knocked out both of my teeth. Um, it bled horribly. I've recovered enough to where I can at least speak some. But it was really bad. And the only thing I could think of is in the van, I have to, to open the van, I have to really rip it to get the van door open. And for some reason, I thought the car door, I had to turn it and I pulled it straight back into my face. So I'm uglier than usual today and struggling a little bit, but we'll get through it. And um, even though this was and is the, the one of the coldest Aprils on record that I've endured, I mean, I've worked outside my whole life almost, and so I know that it's cold. It's a lot worse than ever. Um, there are still people who think it's time to trudge through the uh, neighborhoods. Now they're going through the snow and ring the doorbell because it's April. And they do it every April. It's the annual migration of the spring solicitors, and it's probably happening to you. It's not an accident. They pick certain neighborhoods, uh, and they come around every April and May. Uh, they're the door-to-doors. Um, they know it's still too cold to go out and do anything. Uh, the, like hit the rivers are still mostly frozen, and so uh, uh, they know that's not an option for you, and so they figure most people are home on Saturdays, or where else are they? Costco, that's right. It's exactly where they are. Either one is most likely. Anyway, I'm home on Saturdays. It's my writing day, and it's a, a trial this time of year uh, because of the light and everything, and so I, I gleefully answer the door. I like it. It gives me something to do that I enjoy. It gets me out of writing my lecture for a few minutes. And so I look forward to the spring solicitors, and they seldom disappoint me. And yesterday the doorbell rang about 2 o'clock, and it was a guy selling crab meat out of a van. I know, what could possibly go wrong here? You know, <laughs> besides botulism and E. coli and projectile vomiting and its first cousin, you can figure out that. And naturally, I asked the pleasant, uh, friendly young man a few questions. And it's not a happenstance that he's a pleasant, friendly young man. And he smiles, and he's got the smile down, and he's really friendly. And he's young. I've seen him as young as 14 or 15. And so I always look for who? That's right, the guy driving the van. I know he's an old, ugly guy. But it's just a matter of time. You'll figure it all out. And and so uh, when I see the pleasant, friendly young man, I ask a few questions, and like, uh, and I'm doing it on purpose. I like, I, I know what he wants me to say, because I know what he has memorized, and I ask him, hey, where did you get the crab meat that you put in your van? And when? When did you get it? Those are the two questions that he dreams about. That's the ones he wants. And so I want him to be happy, and he seems happy. So I give him those two questions, and, and, and they feed right into his rehearsed routine, and, and these guys pounce, and they are certain that they have found the dumbest sucker fish in the neighborhood. 
because I looked the part, especially with my face and the way it was. And they're not unlike telemarketers. The very best thing you can do is to make sure the telemarketer thinks you're an idiot. And it's fascinating, this human behavior, by the way, just as an aside. If you appear to be an idiot, uh, literally nearly everyone is more than eager to believe you are an idiot. And that's quite uh, relevatory. It's advantageous. It takes very little prompting to do that, and you learn things very quickly. They, they will identify themselves as somebody who wants to take advantage of you really fast. And, uh, and it's, it's fascinating to study human behavior. You should. Anyway, the very pleasant young man, and he's got to be young, by the way, he launched into his memorized, prepared presentation in which he used the word fresh about 80 times. Fresh, he assumed, is a magic word. And they tell you, by the way, it's the magic word. They call it the phrase that pays. They really do. This is what, this is what he knows I want to hear, fresh. So he's going to pound fresh. The phrase that pays. And I listen dutifully. I've learned to be a very good listener and I'm attentive and I nod and I make sure my eyes are wide open and I try to ruin my best sucker fish face. And I'm good, because it works. Boom. I get them really fast. And when he slowed down, I was able to insert, because it's fresh, it's fresh. Man, this is fresh, guaranteed fresh. The fresh, fresh, it's fresh. Man, is it fresh, fresh. You want fresh? I got fresh. So fresh, amazingly fresh. And so finally he slows down, takes a breath, and I go, oh, that's a shame. That's too bad. Oh, why? Well, I was hoping to score some old freezer burn. Crab meat. I want old stuff. You got fresh. That's really a shame. I want the old stuff. It's got to be almost rotten, I told him. I got to have it right on the edge, man. Got to be right on the edge of rotten. He's just staring at me because he's gone five, seven minutes of fresh and he's got somebody that wants rotten crab meat. <laughs> fresh crab meat won't do. I can't have that. You got any? You got any? I asked you, you got any stale, cheap crab meat on you? You got any? Because, man, i got to have that. That'd be great. I'll take, I'll, if you got a whole old hamburger, man, I'll take that too. What do you got? And, and I, by the way, I learned this accident, or this technique by accident one day, because I, I kept getting calls from encyclopedia salesmen back, and that tells you how old that was, as before internet and, and all that stuff, um, because the kids were young, the boys were young, it was 20-some years ago. And I just get frustrated with these guys that would call me all the time. And so out of contrariness and frustration, um, I would just, I came up with this idea. And then I studied and found out it's exactly what you need to do. And, and, uh, and this guy, this encyclopedia salesman, he read this memorized routine. And, and, and I've said it many times, but I, in case you haven't heard it, and I know the Internet hasn't. Mr. Chronister, he'd said, do you want your children, your boys, and of course he had the name of the boys, do you want Christopher and Eric, your children, to be the smartest kids in their school? Huh, huh, huh. And I went, no, I don't. I want them dumb. I want these kids so dumb, pathetic dumb, dumb as they can be. You got something that'll dumb them down. I don't want encyclopedias. They get smart. I have problems with them. I want to keep them dumb. <laughs> and he thought I was serious. So I went with it. You got a spare TV? You know, maybe some video games? 
Anyway, it's the same system. The crab meat guy has the same system as the encyclopedia. It's just a different product. And my present, the pleasant-looking young man, smiling, saying fresh over and over again, he had never run into a guy, um, and that's the cool thing about young kids, they've just never run into anybody who said, man, i got to have some expired, stale, rotten crab meat, and i got to have it, and I'm willing to pay. What do you got? I was his first one. And that is what he had, by the way. I knew that's what he had. And he knew that's what I what he had, but he had just spent five minutes telling me it was the freshest, fresh, freshest, fresh of the fresh crab meat. And I instead said, "No, I want about to be garbage throwaway crab meat. I'll buy it. How much you got? How much you pound?" And he didn't know what to do. He suggested that I leave it out on the porch for a few days. <laughs> and I, said, <laughs> I thought that. <laughs> And he was very disappointed. And then he made the classic mistake that that they all make. He asked me a question. And, of course, I know what the question is going to be. Yeah, exactly. Why do you want old crab meat? And I said, well, you, you can, as you know, you can go, you can get old crab, frozen crab meat for really cheap. So I want really cheap. You'll sell me the new stuff. It'll become old, but I want to buy it for old prices. I don't want to buy fresh. I want old. And I can get it really cheap. I can go to the processors. I can go to the restaurants. I can go to the groceries. It's all illegal, by the way, to get it this way. It's illegal, as you know. They're not supposed to give it to you for cheap. They're not supposed to sell it. What are they supposed to do? Throw it away. Or they're supposed to hire somebody that will take it to the dump. So you can't have old crab meat. But that's what he had. That's what they got. Now what do they do with it? You see, they take it and they mix it with fresh crab meat. And they cut it. They do the same thing with hamburger. And they do what then? They put it in a van and they drive around and they ring doorbells and they try to sell it. To people who they perceive to be what? Stupid, yeah. And they sell them garbage disguised as safe, healthy food, and they make big money. And so I said, that's why I want it. Because I'm what? I'm the same as you. So if you got any old stuff, I'll take that, and I'll go out and go door to door right behind you, and I'll sell it. What do you think? And the pleasant young man looked at me, and his face kind of dropped, and right behind him, almost coming up the driveway, they passed each other, comes my next visitor. And they have the same exact con game. It's, it was extraordinary. And it was the Jehovah's Witnesses again. And I'm supposed to be on the no-fly list with these folks. They're supposed to know not to ring my doorbell. And guess what they had? They have a very smiley 14, 15-year-old boy this time. Usually it's a girl and a woman, but this time it was an older man and a young boy. And the advantage you get is you get to see the young man and you get to see the older man side by side where the crab meat guy, his guy, is in the van. The old man drives the van and the young boy sells the garbage. It's the exact same scam. 
You're wondering, why are you burning up so much time to tell you this? Well, I just want you to know they all send kids up to your door nowadays, the method being that people won't be aggressive with young kids. You won't yell at them. You won't slam the door on them. You'll think they're cute. It's, you know, it's, as you know, if you ever go to a baseball game, who gets the autographs nowadays? Five-year-old kids run up to the athletes. The athletes give the autograph. What's the five-year-old kid do? Takes the ball to the guy in the van. What's the old guy in the van do with it? Takes it home, puts it on eBay, and sells it. That's what he does. That's the scam. That's the trick. It's been going on forever. One time I had a, a, a balding guy, probably 28, maybe, he came up dressed in a letter jacket with the graduation year ripped off of it, selling raffle tickets for the school band trip. You ever have those guys come? No, they're all the time. They, you know, they got they got a gray beard and they go, you know, their little band shirt on doesn't fit. You can try to to, to get those guys by asking them uh, what year they were born, because they're usually not good at math, and they'll tell you pretty close to the truth. You know, they'll say 1975. Might not be in high school with that. But, uh, I'm I'm a little more creative. I always say, "Yeah, wow, wow." The last guy that tried it was uh, South High School, and I said, "Man, is old Mr. Cronister still teaching there?" Yeah, <laughs> and so they tell me old Mr. Cronister stories. Yeah, that guy was something. <laughs> it's very entertaining. I find it particularly amusing. But uh, anyway. I just want you to notice the counterfeit method. We're going to get into it in a second because it's the same thing. In the This is the religious side of it. Someone who has something of great value doesn't need a trick. If I'm going door to door to teach people about the Bible, I don't need a 12-year-old boy or 14-year-old girl. I, I'll do it without them. If you, you don't need a prop. You don't need to hide behind children. Whenever a child comes and there's an adult behind them back there and it's not the parents and it's not trick or treat and it's not Girl Scouts cookies, it's one of these kind of crab meat, uh, proselytizing things, those are sinister people that hide behind children. They know that's what it's about. And I generally, as you know, engage the Jehovah's Witnesses because I know what they don't know, and that stuns them, and that's why I do it. I want to make sure I stun every single one of them that comes to the door. They never know why there are two trees in Genesis, and so I know that, and they, and I know they don't know, and I go after them with it, and they don't know why God protects the second tree. I start firing these questions. Do you know there's two trees in Genesis? Do you, why does God protect the second tree after they ate of the first tree? Why Adam and the woman did not eat of the second tree after they ate of the first tree? Why that happened and then why God protected it. The Jehovah's Witnesses never know about Romans 5, 12 through 14 or 1 Timothy 2, 14 through 15. That's where Adam is not deceived and Adam, through Adam, sin and death enters the world. They don't know that. And they never know about or the why Adam renamed the woman life. And they never, never know about John 8, 24 and Exodus 3, 14. That's the I am's. Where Christ says you must believe I am or you will, you will perish. He says I am the I am of the burning bush in Exodus 3.14. Of 
When I said that to the young man the other day, yesterday, the old man literally took a step back. He had never heard it before. Astonishing to me. Never heard it before. Thought I was going to be in John 1. I was in John 8. And they certainly don't know about this, which always devastates them. The continuity of the germplasm. They don't know about the continuity of the germplasm. So I start there. I tell them. And they're never pleased. You see, the continuity of germplasm is devastating to the Jehovah's Witness doctrine. They don't believe that Christ was body resurrected. They have a no body resurrected position. And the continuity of germplasm destroys their view. And when they find out, it makes them very unhappy. I had a stomping, mad, angry man with a boy next to him without any idea. He'd never seen his mentor this upset. And I asked the boy, I said, have you ever seen your mentor this upset? No, sir. You know why he's upset? He's got no answer for the continuity of germplasm. He has no answer for John 8.24. He has no answer for Genesis 3.15. He has no answer for Exodus 3.14. And he can't deal with it. And if you learn something, I can't help him. He's on his way to perdition. You're 14 or 15. He grabbed that boy and spun him around. Because of the continuity of germplasm. It's impossible to sell the free gift of salvation. And that's what they're doing. That's why the boy is there. Just like the crab meat guy. And they want the money. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. They want the power, the control that the love of money brings to them. And all of that that I've mentioned so far is the power that you have if you are prepared. And that's what we're going to do today. I want to prepare you again today for the continuity of germplasm. I want you to understand the power of the fact of the continuity of germplasm. And it's something that proves the literal existence of Adam and Eve and Satan in the two trees. When you begin to put it all together, you are formidable. You're ready to answer the doorbell, whether it's crab meat or Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or, or any of the sects. You are powerful. That's what I want for you. When your kid comes home and says, I got taught about radioactive dating. I'll get to that in a minute. You go, well, we start first with the continuity of germplasm. That will help you understand Genesis 3.15. You get Genesis right. You get everything right. And then eventually uh, you will have the continuity of the soul or continuing existence and free will and the purpose of the physical reality. So that's what I'm trying to do today. i got to just get it in. i got a, uh, a reminder yesterday just how formidable, again, you can be. I'm always surprised that no one knows this. So we're going to have a new diagram today. <coughs> and listen, we're probably going to take some time off again uh, for this summer. I have to deal with my mom's probate.
and I don't know for sure when that's going to happen, but we have Memorial Day coming up. We'll probably uh, uh, suspend for Memorial Day and maybe the next one. But what I would like to do is go back to the way we used to be, and I know we're borrowing a building here, And um, but I used to have exactly, as some of you know, I had tables everywhere. I like to go back to tables. Today is a classic day where I would like to, because it's time to start drawing out. I'd like you to have a desk or a table in front of you and pencil and paper. It's basic biology is all I'm giving you. But it's got extraordinary implications. Because the biology does something. You know the Bible is true. But the biology is evidence. It's You can see what God did. He was amazing. Duh. So step one, germplasm releases a seed for fertilization. What do we call that? Ovulation, right? So I'm going to draw germplasm. I'll write it up here on the board. Germplasm, or germ cells, same thing, germ cells releases a seed. Why? What do we call the seed? Egg. So I'll draw it this way. Here's the germplasm. And those of you on the internet, this is not going to mean much to you, but you can look it up and, and, and it's in any biology book. And the germplasm sends out a seed. Step one. What's the germplasm doing? It's replicating itself. It wants more germplasm. So it sends out a seed. An egg. Ovum. Step two. The seed is fertilized. Now, that is an extraordinary thing. We don't know that it is extraordinary. It's pretty common for us. That gets fertilized. So I'll draw now the seed fertilized. That's my way of doing it. Step two. In Mary, how was that seed fertilized? It was a supernatural act. By the way, it's all a supernatural act. It's extraordinary, this process, the development and the division of cell structures. We had a movie here a while back showing you what's going on inside of one single cell. That's a supernatural act as well. But anyway, the egg is fertilized. Mary is the only woman in history of all women who did not have a male fertilize one of her eggs. Now, she had a male fertilize other of her eggs because Christ had uh, brothers. Probably sisters. We don't know for sure how many were in that family. But in any event, the seed is fertilized. Step three, the fertilized egg is called a zygote. Z-Y-G-O-T-E. Okay? It begins to divide. And this is very important. Because it divides 
itself into what? It divides itself into germplasm or germ cells. So what is it doing? Exactly what I said. It released a seed. The seed is fertilized. The, the zygote, which is, which is the fertilized seed, begins to divide itself. And the first thing that it makes is more germplasm. So isn't it obvious that germplasm's whole purpose is to take care of who first? The germplasm. In other words, so far, we have, first three steps, we have germplasm becoming germplasm. Or if you will, we have the seed of the woman, once it is fertilizing, reproducing into the seed of the woman. It's out to make sure that the seed of the woman continues. Okay? Step four. When the germ cells divide, okay, and I get to... About 16. I'll try to do 16 for you. When I get to 16 germplasms, now I finally get a body cell. And body cells start to develop. So the first thing the germplasm does, or if you will, the first thing the seed of the woman does is eject the seed, and then it makes more seeds of the woman. That's its first priority. Its first priority is not to make the body. It's to replicate itself. After 16 germplasm cells or so, I get the first body cells. They show up. With me so far? How did I introduce this horrible biology topic to you where you're all just about ready to go forward on the chair? See, that's why I want the table, because it makes a cool sound. If you hit the cushion chair with your forehead, no one hears. But if you go face forward on the table, sounds kind of like a tom-tom drum. Bam, 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 bam. Obviously, I've done this lecture before to high school kids. None of them are here today. <laughs> okay. The key point of this exercise, if you will, is a great truth that hardly anyone knows today outside of the biological sciences. But I want you to know, because if you can do this, when the Jehovah's Witnesses come, or the Mormons come, anyone who does not believe in the deity of Christ... I made that man look at me as angry as he could, just like I always do, and say to me, Jesus Christ is not God. And then I said, well, read 824 John. Because you've just hung yourself. And it is love to tell you so. And then I looked at the young man and said, don't ever say that. Go your whole life. Don't ever say it. But this is a great truth that hardly anyone knows. Certainly no religious, no church teaches it. It should be in every church. But it's something that Moses and Isaiah and Paul 
perfectly said it. They weren't biologies, uh, biologists. They weren't in the biological science, sciences, but they said it perfectly and they wrote it perfectly. The germ plasm first forms more germ plasm. That is so powerful. And then the germ plasm forms the body. You get nothing from me but that. And you just start thinking about it. You, you, you no longer have, you know, it's what's, what's that movie uh, about the Australian crocodile Dundee? You don't have a little tiny pen knife. You've got a bowie knife. You got a machete, don't you, Louis? The germ plasm first forms more germ plasm. And then, after 16 germ plasm cells, which are large cells, by the way, the, the uh, germ plasm cells are the seed cells, if you will, much, much larger than the body cells. So these large cells form, and then the body cells. Put it another way. The seed of the woman forms itself first and then forms the body. So put it, let me say it again. I'll leave something out so it all fits for you. The seed of the woman forms the body cells or the somatic cells. Start learning the the technical terms. The seed of the woman forms the somatic cells. It is not true that the body forms the seed of the woman. It is not true. The seed of the woman forms the body. It's the opposite. It is never true that the body forms the seed. The seed forms the body. That is an extraordinary truth. I can't emphasize it enough. Exactly by the way what Genesis 3.15 says. The seed forms itself. Then and only then, after the seed begins the self-formation, then the seed forms the body. And that is called the continuity of the germ plasm. It wants to make sure that itself Continues. Now, begin to contemplate the implications of this biological fact. It is, again, it is devastating to the Jehovah's Witnesses' position on the resurrection of Christ. It is devastating. It destroys them. They recognize it almost immediately. Their sect, as you know, as I said a couple of weeks ago, it's so surprising to me that I've run into two of them while I'm in the somatic cell and germ cell discussion. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, they're a young our operation. When they first formed, August Wiseman had figured out the continuity of germ plasm and Gregor Mendel and his genetic studies had begun to tear apart the evolutionary dogma. But it was ignored. They didn't know this. They still don't know it. Nobody takes eighth grade biology anymore. And for whatever reason, no one teaches this in eighth grade biology anymore. I have a theory. 
because they know what it does. It proves that whoever wrote Genesis 3.15 was a biological genius. I'm often asked about the intrinsic relationship between the virgin birth of Christ and the body resurrection of Christ. People have figured out, and they call me or they ask me, they say, talk about this relationship. And it's rightfully so that they do uh, ask me this, because the virgin birth and Christ's resurrection, his body resurrection, are interdependent, they're intermeshed. You cannot have one without having the other. They are, they end up being the same, if you will. One begets the other and the inverse or the reverse is also true. The virgin birth results in the resurrection, the body resurrection of Christ, and the body resurrection of Christ validates the truth of the virgin birth. You cannot separate them one from the other. Once you prove the virgin birth is true, you will then, by, by just Processes prove that the body resurrection of Christ is likewise true. Once you prove the body resurrection of Christ is true, then you prove the virgin birth is true. That is how interdependent they are. That is why it is so devastating to the Jehovah's Witnesses. They didn't know that. That's why when the doorbell rings, I go down with my continuity of germplasm face. I had to switch from suckerfish, crab meat, buyer face, the continuity of germ plasm face. Hi, how are you? Have you heard about the continuity of germ plasm? That's pretty much how I do it. I start with a question. It is the same thing as, do you want your children to be the most intelligent kids? No. It's the same thing, isn't it? They're there to ask me a question. I don't let them. I ask them about the continuity of germplasm. And then what do they have to do? They don't know anything about it. So what do they need? They need me to explain it to them. So what am I explaining to them? I'm explaining to them the truth of the virgin birth. The purpose of the virgin birth. The incredible miracle perfect writing description of the virgin birth, the existence of a virgin birth. Don't take that for granted. And then how that proves the body resurrection. Because the body that comes out of a virgin birth is unique. They don't think the body that came out of Mary is unique. They think it died and went into corruption, decay and sin, just like all other bodies. Okay? So understand that one begets the other. The virgin birth results in the resurrection, and the resurrection, the body resurrection, proves or validates the virgin birth. What I mean by that is that the virgin birth eliminates any possibility of a human father. The only way I can have a virgin birth, the only way I can get this egg fertilized, is God himself has to provide the means of fertilization if it is a virgin that is in fact uh, providing that zygote. And more on that later. People ask me all the time, why a virgin? What proves the fatherhood? It proves that God is the father of that baby. He is the father of himself, because he is also the child, right? For today, uh, you should just quickly notice, you're going to watch the time here, make the logical progression and see the problem the Jehovah's Witnesses have because of the fact 
of the continuity of germplasm. The fact that germplasm forms itself first before it forms the body. The fact that germplasm, in fact, forms the body. So the seed is making the body. The body is not making the seed. Critical that you understand that. Why? Because the seed of the woman is not contaminated. So if I have the seed of the woman that is not contaminated and it is fertilized by an uncontaminated source, then the body is not contaminated. Not contaminated with what? Sin. Therefore, the body can't what? Decay. You see the problem for them. When they come to your door, you only have to tell them that the continuity of germplasm proves that Christ's body was sinless and did not decay. And then stand back. It could not decay. It dies only why? How does a body that has no sin in it die? He tells you how it dies. Jesus Christ is God himself, and he it dies only because Jesus Christ, God himself, wills his body to die. And then he wills it to live. He alone, he says, I lay it down, I take it up. I lay it down, I take it up. I lay it down, I take it up. As many times as I want. I can do it to myself, I can do it to you. As you know, that's my position on what happens at the end of John with Thomas. Here's your progression when the doorbell rings. You start out with a continuity of germplasm. They'll ask you to explain it because they don't want to be an idiot. See how it all works? So you explain it to them. They realize very quickly that you have just given them biological evidence of the virgin birth and the fact that Christ's body was sinless. Christ's body was sinless. How did it die? It only dies if he wills it to die. Who has the power to will it to die? God. Who had the power to fertilize it in the first place? God. What did we just prove? The body is sinless. The body resurrected. Christ did it himself because he's God. What do we got left of their doctrine? Nothing. Continuity of germplasm. John 8.24. Exodus 3.14. John 10.17. Genesis 3.15. Romans 5.12. Matthew 1.20-25. Bam, 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 bam. Down I go. Do they interrupt me? Rarely. They leave. You take those together. And they prove without debate that Christ resurrected his own body. And we'll go through it again. But I still got more steps for you. Now, what did I do? I did, where did I leave off here? I got to find out where I left off. Did I do step four? Yeah. Step four is after 16. Germ cells, body cells show up, or somatic cells. Hmm? 
Okay, so there we are. I lost track. I lost track because I hit myself in the face with a door. Nothing I can do about it. It's going to keep happening. Step five. Okay. The, the somatic cells are the body cells. They divide. And they form a housing. I made this body cell too big. And they form a housing. The germ cells keep going too. And they're huge comparatively. And the body cells form a housing, okay, to build the housing, if you will. So the body cells are making the body. Where is the housing for the uh, germ cells? It's in the reproductive organs, right? The germ cells never then commingle with the body cells. They are inside a housing and they are kept separate. And that's very important. Why do you suppose God decided to make sure that the germ cells were separate in the woman? And he stored them in a protective housing inside the reproductive organs. That is a biological fact. Why did that happen? Don't say, oh, well, that happened. Ask why. What's he doing with them? He's going to make sure that when that egg is sent out, when it's released, step one, that something about that egg is pretty incredible. It is not contaminated with the mortogenic factor or the death factor. It has no characteristic of death in it. Getting ahead of myself. The body or the somatic cells divide to build the housing for the germ cells, which then remain separate, thus preserving their integrity. They preserve their integrity as the seed. Now I go to step six. I got the new body. And the new body develops. At what age does the new body that develops... After the child is born, at what age? Because the, it doesn't immediately release a seed, does it? When do the seeds start to be released? I know, it's biology. No kids in here. Okay. Except maybe for Hunter. About age what? Now we're eating McDonald's hamburgers and, and we got all those... Steroids in the beef. So now it's happening between 12 and 14. Notice there is a, there is body development, but not reproductive development. The reproductive development is, is set aside while the body develops. So what's the obvious question now? Is this time period, this is what we know for sure that's a post-curse time period. What was the time period of Adam and Eve? How long did they live? But what percentage, by the way, of what's the, what percentage of a lifespan is 12 years? Come on, it's basic math. Make it, huh? Yeah, 15%. 15% of your life goes by before reproductive, before that seed is released. How old was Adam? 
We know he's 9.30 out of the garden. How long was he in the garden? Let's just say 70. So we had a nice round thousand, thousand years for the first Adam, thousand years for the last Adam. Right? Just, just for fun. Let's do that. How long would he have gone if the percentage was the same? 150 years? 200 years? Eve, before she was reproductively able? If the same percentages exist. That's just for fun. I'm not saying it was the case. Do we have accelerated death? Yeah, would Adam look at us and go, wow, you guys age and die really fast. Really fast. You're still a child at 80 in my time. You have accelerated death. You mature quickly, you die quickly. You age quickly. Trust me, it is really fast. Stunning how fast it's happened to me. I age faster than anybody ever. I'm now to the phase of my life where I fall downstairs and open doors into my face. (laughs) It isn't much fun. Last year I was in the place where I shot nails through my thumb. So it is accelerating. But we're dying faster was our was their development as fast as ours? Now I know Adam and Eve were fully formed, but let's take Methuselah. We'll get into that. But the new body, step six, at a prescribed time, does what? Releases another egg. And what's the germplasm doing again? Making sure there's what? More germplasm that is isolated and not contaminated, which is why August Wiseman, 1915 or so, called that the continuity of the germplasm. Now, some quick points here in the last three or four minutes. Obviously, 1 Timothy 2.14 is a puzzle. It says, nevertheless, the woman will be saved in childbearing. And people have not been able to figure that out. She's the deceived one. Adam is not deceived. But nevertheless, it says, the woman will be saved in the continuity of germplasm. The solution to that puzzle in 1 Timothy 2.15 is the fact of the continuity of germplasm. The fact that the germplasm is separated and uncontaminated by the mortogenic factor in the body or in the somatic cells. The germplasm is not contaminated with the death generator. The fact, that makes the woman saved in childbearing. It's obvious and logical that the sinless body of Christ would have resulted, would have been the product of a virgin birth. That's what would happen. He has a sinless body, and it is logical, it is obvious that the result of a of God providing himself as the means of fertilization, step two here, would result in a sinless body. So a virgin birth with God providing the Fertilization means the hovering of the of the Holy Spirit would provide it would create somatic cells that had no death factor in it. How did the people who wrote that Bible know that? Because they got it perfectly right, biologically perfect. 
scientifically flawless. Now, God's going to intercede, so immediately connect yourself to other direct intercessions by God himself. In any event, God purposed to avoid, he eliminated a contaminated human father. And the result of that, a sinless body. Now, it just so happens, inside the sinless body is who? God. The infinite mind of God. Now, consider for a second how foreign a concept this virgin birth is. Who thinks of a virgin birth? You've been, you've heard it your whole lives, most of you. You've been in church. But just think about the time it was written a couple thousand years ago. We're going to write down how Christ is sinless. Oh, I got it. A virgin birth. No one knew of a, no one had a concept of a virgin birth in those days. No one thought it was possible. No one thinks it's possible today. Where did the concept of a virgin birth come from? Who thought of it? Had to be God. Had to be. No human being would think of a virgin birth. But yet human beings did what? They wrote it down. Why did they write it down? If I had a story and said, okay, what we're going to need to make it all work is a virgin birth. If you didn't know about it, you would say, well, that's ridiculous. But they wrote it down as if it were obviously true. The men who recorded it, they recorded it and reported it as absolute fact without even a wisp of doubt. And ultimately, modern biological science has vindicated them. The virgin birth viewed as a scientific fact finds its, it finds its explanations, finds its meaning. There is no meaning for a virgin birth. Anywhere. There's no reason for one except where? In the Bible. So science, biological science, vindicated that the continuity of germ plasm avoids the bortogenic factor. They know that's true. Just exactly as it says in Genesis 3.15, 1 Timothy 2.15, Romans 5.12. Isaiah, exactly Isaiah 7, I hope. The virgin birth, viewed as a scientific fact, finds its meaning only in the Bible. Only in the Bible. Okay? If all you knew about was the virgin birth, you would have, you would have evidence of God right there. And now we've got to go on. Next, in the coming weeks, we have 46 chromosomes. And 23 pairs of chromosomes. And something is really cool about the 23rd pair. You gotta know you're 46 and you're 23. The cells in our body contain 23 pairs of chromosomes. Except for your sex cells. The egg and the sperm. What do you suppose is the implications of that? And then we got to understand the formation of Eve from Adam. See, she wasn't made out of the dirt like Adam, so she was made from Adam. God went in and got somatic cells out of Adam, germ cells out of Adam. By the way, do you think he used the same mechanism on the animals? If he made female for Adam out of Adam, did he make females for 
Elephants are elephants. Same mechanism? How do you do the animals different? What do you think? Did he do, did he do a good job here? Would he, would he say, oh, well, that's, I just want to do that. I'll do something different this time for the animal. So we'll have to get into that and how is it that male animals are poisoned? How did they get contaminated? I hope you think about weird things like that. And then finally, radioactivity. Nuclear instability. Is radioactivity a result of the curse? In other words, did I have radioactivity prior to the curse? Is instability, because radioactivity is instability, think nuclear weapons, right? If I have instability, what uh, is that a result of the curse? And then what other instability is a result of the curse? Or, or really, this is a question, what really happened to the creation when Adam fell? And then we have, uh, again, uh, let me repeat that. Is radioactivity, I'm going to get a lot of questions about it. Is radioactivity a result of sin? That's what I'm asking you. Or was it always present? What happens if you're exposed to radioactivity? You die. It kills you. So has it always been present? Did God put radioactivity in there and say, okay, well, we're going to have some radioactivity. Watch out for that. Or is it a result of the curse? Or soul of sin? What's the implications if it is the result of sin and it has not always been present? And now i got some real problems because I have radioactive uranium-238 decay rate into lead. And I can't prove anything if it's a result of sin. I've just destroyed another entire scientific community if I can prove that radioactivity is a result of sin. Finally, really finally this time, Genesis 1, 11 through 25. It's called the law of limitations of variation and prodigy, progeny. And we will study that next week. Fight your friends. Bring a little bag. I'll have tables eventually so you can just kind of put your head down. Pillows, tables and pillows. Let's rise.